I have a repeat guest today, and uh, don't tell my other guests, but he's one of my favorite guests. He's my cousin, and he's Shay Kerwood. Hi, Shay. Hello, Tyler. He was on, what episode was this? You're on episode nine. And uh, we started a conversation about the creative work that we both do. And I feel like it was the start of something great. And then we got distracted by technology. And I, I wanted to keep going along that track of, I don't know, what it's like to have a creative job, like where you actually need to pay your bills by coming up with ideas and then turning them into something. Yes. And the reason why it's so good is because this is the type of conversation that you and I have outside of podcasts. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, she was uh, like, what do you want me to talk about? And I just said, I don't know, everything we talk about when you go for coffee, because that's what I like about podcasts a lot of the time is that it's like, I can kind of work through problems I'm having by listening to other people that are in similar situations. Right. So I can kind of just like accelerate some of those conversations if you don't have anybody around you that's facing them in the same way. And it's, I don't know, it's funny that we both ended up in as similar of jobs as we did. Yeah. Like that may not have happened. We weren't really on that track at the same time when we were young, but yeah. But here we are. So, you know, quick recap, what does your business do? What does Brandsmith do? Yeah, um, well, short form is we elevate brands and forge deeper connections, which is our tagline. So what that means to me is that you come to us, you have a, either a brand that you want to develop or a company that you want to start. We either elevate what you currently have by, you know, auditing and doing a strategic session and kind of doing discovery around it and then augmenting the collateral and the design work that you have as part of your brand. And then uh, the forging deeper connections portion of it is we just love relationships. And I think that you and I have talked about this before where, you know, relationships are key. The experience of like engaging with someone that values your services is key. And so we love those connections. And we also like connecting our clients more deeply with the people that matter to them, their customers. Right. right? Well, I mean, so a, a huge obstacle that you face as soon as you start creating stuff for other people for money is you realize that a lot of the reason you're, you're being hired is this doesn't come naturally to them. Right. Or to everyone else. Yeah. So there, there's always this roadblock of they can't necessarily connect to the vision that you're trying to pitch. Or, I mean, even more often, like we're both running small businesses, right? Occasionally we'll have big clients, but we don't mostly have big clients, right? Like a, a lot of the work we do day to day is like ranging from small to mid to occasionally large clients. And when budgets aren't infinite, people are like re are really sensitive to what happens with their their brand. Like they know they care about their brand, even if they don't know what they want to do with it. Right. And it, you and I are in a really interesting field because people, even though they may not know exactly how to execute, they feel like they should have a lot of input. Right. <laughs> so because there's a little bit of glamour, I think, around the idea of coming up with advertising concepts. The creative process is one that's very addictive and enjoyable to be a part of. So that leads to a question. Did do you notice any difference in public perception of what you do since Mad Men? I mean that was a while ago now, but right. it might have actually only like been kind of starting when you no, you would have been designing when it came May, up. You like, know what? Maybe it just allows me to talk about it like I'm cooler than I really am. So <laughs> right. people are like, oh, what role do you have? And I'm like, well, have you heard of Don Draper? <laughs> <laughs> and you take a long drag of your cigarette yeah, and exactly. you know, flick yeah. it onto the, onto the carpet. Yeah, I just... Put it out on your mahogany desk. Yeah, pound a scotch and then walk away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But yeah, it, it's funny, both sides, the same with photography, that I think there's this cinematic romance of it. Yeah. Because the way that it's portrayed in films... First of all, with photography, I never see it portrayed in a remotely accurate way. I can't, I can't, no films come to mind yeah. other than documentaries that represent the world of photography that I see. You know, Peter Parker is like, that is an idea from the 60s yeah. that may, probably wasn't very accurate at the time. And I think that a lot of the time, like photographers in film or in fiction are represented as like primarily artists right. and kind of like well adored by many people and they're always sought after and they have a big penthouse apartment yeah. and everything about it is real is it, it's a shorthand for like sexy career 
I've always thought about that about writers as well. Yeah. Like, oh, totally. How many writers do you know in real life that are just live in the in the lap of luxury, yeah. right? And then you watch any show, and or, it's like the or, best thing. Everybody knows them. I'm like, I couldn't pick out a writer of rocking walking down sure. the street, and you know? they're able to pay their bills, yeah. which is <laughs> challenging for yeah. for all these jobs. It's so unrealistic. Yeah. yeah, and then even another one is architect, which I think that one's not so much that that's a bit different because like architects do get paid better. But yep. they went to a lot of school and there's not a lot of them because you don't, you don't need a license to be a photographer. You know, you don't need to like hit those same yeah. uh, career points. Yeah. And if you are architecting, but it's a commonly like, it's a fictional trope. You know? Yeah. You know what? Architect, I love architecture and my architect friends are amazing people and I really respect what it is that they do. And a lot of times I look at the way that it's structured and I go, oh, design would be such a great place to implement some of those rules and regiments, right? Because, right. you know, you could just point to your education and go, this is why <laughs> this I'm is making, why you know, this is why you're not, mm-hmm. you know, this is why you're basically giving me the reins to this project and why you should entrust your faith into me. But it's not always the case. I might be, even though I have a decent amount of education, a lot of experience, I might be competing on the same job as, someone's nephew in their basement, right? That kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So the breadth of competition is way huger, just like it is in photography, I'd imagine. And so sometimes I look to, you know, like the structured professions like architecture and I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. That'd be kind of nice. Yeah. I know there's somewhere, uh, hey, this is just a story I'm retelling years after it happened and I wasn't there for it. So it's secondhand. But when I worked at iStock Photo, I know that somebody was a member that contributed to iStock had an issue because the country that they're from was required photographers to have a license. Like it was a a licensed profession that you go and get a photographer license. Yeah. And they were selling through iStock and getting in trouble for making money from photography without a license. No way. I don't know where that was, but I find that really interesting. Well, you'd know if you ever went there because you oh, just yeah, see the right. most epic photographs well, yeah, you'd everywhere. be going through airport security and <laughs> yeah. they'd be like, excuse me, what are you doing with this large camera? Yeah, exactly. You have to tape the phone, your phone up so you can't take pictures on it anymore. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, all, all that to say that like, I, I think the there's a lot of misconceptions around w- what it is to, to do either of these things and that, yeah, I mean, so, so much of it in the end is Running a business in yeah. the most in the most boring way. Totally. Let's circle back and get back on track here, right? Sure. Okay. What's, so what was our track? <laughs> Venting. Okay. Right? Yeah, you start. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, I guess what I'm excited about is the opportunity to chat with you for a full hour, but also to kind of ask some questions that I've always had around, you know, maybe just issues that I have in the creative profession I'm in and see if you have some insights and things like that. But I was actually kind of curious, like, how do you define your current role right now? Because I know that you do so much. You work across a whole plethora of different kind of uh, mediums. And yeah, do you like, would you hand out a business card that just says photographer now? Or, you know, what is it? How is it that you kind of define your profession? If, If I look at most places that I list an occupation, like profiles online, I think it says things like photo slash video or photography and video production. The, a lot of the time, if I, if I really want to give somebody an idea of what I do, I kind of have to just give examples of the last few jobs that I've had yeah. because it really is like very widely ranging. You know, I, in general, I've kind of just been like a freelance creative you know, because yeah. I was professional designer for quite a while that like design was what I spent all my time doing. And then I was a photographer and then I was a designer again while I was being a photographer. And then like, sometimes I'm mostly doing video. So, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of hard to to say one thing because I do a bunch of freelance creative production. That's yeah. probably the best way to say it. Because like, I'll, it's always on the producing stuff side. I'll I'm either making websites or making photos or making videos. Yeah. And then for, the, you know, the context I always need to add is that in our business, like I run it with my wife, Anya, and she's doing, she's sort of doing more of what you do in your business of running the business and right. managing clients. Whereas like in, in your context, I'd be more like one of the, the designers yeah i'm like somebody i'm you know i've kind of got the hammer and tool belt and i'm like making stuff yeah and how do you feel about being so diversified right like because well it makes conversations like this harder (laughs) 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 and and you know it's 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 a really 
funny um, mix of being a little bit worse at everything. You know, I know uh, Chris, who was on the, the last episode, well, we were talking offline about a friend of his that's a cinematographer. And uh, Chris has told me this anecdote a few times. And I always think of it that uh, when, when they have a conversation about like, you know, what are you interested in? And Chris is like, oh, well, I like science and philosophy and photography and video production and all this stuff. And, talk, and he's like, well, what are you in, into to the cinematographer? And he's like, cinematography. Yeah. I think that's what I do. Yeah. And I know if I lived that way, I would be much better at something. Like right. the difference between my quality of work and the people I look up to, yeah. I see a, a huge, huge gap. Like I know how far away their work is from from what I'm doing. And I also know I could only really fill that gap if I started focusing on one of them because most of these people are are, are dedicating themselves to one of those roles. Would you feel fulfilled if you did just do one though? Or would you feel like... Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm just too... I'm too distracted also because I'm doing freelance, right? Because I have the opportunity to make money. If somebody offers me to do a design job, even though I haven't been doing them much lately, and it's exciting and interesting, like I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Whereas I think it, it, a lot of other career paths lock you in a little bit more. Like yeah. if you're doing traditional cinematography, you just have to be focused on it all the time by the nature of the studio system yeah. to get to the top. Right. So it's because I'm like doing stuff for the internet and yeah, like, it, I mean, so much of it is just because of the internet that it is, that's how I can have this kind of job yeah. uh, or these kinds of jobs. But I don't know. I mean, I, th I think it's not that uncommon a thing. I've heard a number of people say they're like designer slash photographers. Yeah. That's a thing. But it also, I've, something I worry about is having it take away from the seriousness of any of them. Like if, if I know somebody's talking to me because they're interested in photo work, I won't talk about the design because yeah. it'll sound like, Oh, you're actually a designer and you're just trying to, right. it's distracting as well. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it can just be hard to, to frame it. I mean, even right now, look how long I just took to explain <laughs> this. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's really interesting. And I kind of feel the same way, like a master of none sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think by virtue of, owning a business, you have to wear a lot more hats than you ever thought you'd have to wear. And you just have more roles to fulfill. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, totally. and you know what, that, like I said, that creative process is addictive and yeah, it's, you get enamored with projects. Right. And I think I'm the same way. Well, yeah. But so what, when do you get bored when you're working on something? What's a point that you start fidgeting and wanting to look towards something else? I think when it gets kind of outside of that creative process, I think the times that I feel, I guess, less inspired are when I feel out of my depth. So um, I'll be doing, you know, trying to learn a new software program to like do our project management mm -hmm. or I'll need to, you know, figure out how I'm going to do uh, invoicing and things like that. So I feel like the the kind of necessary evils of business ship are the things that eventually feel a little bit tiresome for me. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm really bad for, I get really excited at the early learning stage of something. Yeah. And as soon as I start getting pretty competent, that's when it starts kind of feeling boring and I move on. So in high school, I could slightly skateboard <laughs> and I kind of learned to play guitar and then I kind of learned to play drums, but I'm not good at any of these things. Yeah. And I mean, I could just keep listing them because I keep, I get into something, I spend two or three months hyper-focused on it. I learn more or less how to do the basics and then I move on to something else. Yeah. I think gradually, like the, the hours I'm spending are starting to add up. Like now I've been podcasting for five years or, or whatever. Yeah. And so I've had that many more hours trying to speak extemporaneously in front of a microphone and, yeah. and be mildly interesting. Well, that's and, how you get big shot cousins on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how you get the big, the big guests. But I think it's a slower process for any of those specific things than if I was focused for sure. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think one interesting thing I see in general, like a, a broader pattern is how many people are going freelance in the world right yeah, now. It's amazing. It, and it? considering any job to be temporary, like I, I don't really know what the long-term effects of that are. And I totally have fallen into that. And I, even though I have done it and I, you know, just stayed at jobs for like, max three years. I, it's not great 
for mm-hmm. companies, you know, companies need to have people stick around to really build a sense of ownership and mm-hmm. have stable leadership. And, you know, I, I selfishly like jumping around, but for the stability of the planet, I think mm-hmm. sometimes we also have to just dig deep and, and be bored and stick to something even when it's challenging. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. And imagine, you know, I think it's a a common kind of global feeling and sentiment that exists is like this uh, impatience a little bit, right? And and of course we have to say that I mean first world global. Like this yes, is yeah. this is a a challenge of the privileged. You're um, right. And you, we have like obviously we're very totally right. grateful to struggle with this at all. That's that's like an interesting general problem is that like you complain at the level that you're at, you know, and I'm a believer in that, like your happiness or satisfaction with life is pretty internal. And if you have all the success you want, like I'm not way happier as I've had more success than before, you know, like it's I'm kind of. It, it doesn't change a lot. Like your, your problems, we, we are ambitious as humans because it's in the nature of a human to not stay satisfied. Yeah. It's kind of just how we make progress and how we survive, yeah. but it's not directly connected to your satisfaction or happiness in life. So, yeah, I, I agree with that, but I totally derailed you. Again, yeah, no, so no, no, not at all. I was just thinking with that, I think, I wonder if, you know, like our clients, are willing to try and experience because there used to be an agency of record that would last five, 10 years. Right. And so I think hanging on to clients is a little bit more short lived because, you know, there's so many different opportunities out there and so many different mediums and specialists and freelancers and things like that as well. So I think on our side, we're kind of going, okay, I'm not content just sitting still. I want to keep evolving and growing and things like that, but we can't, expect anything different from the people that we work for either necessarily, right? So it poses like interesting questions around what long-lasting partnerships look like and Mm -hmm. what you can expect from, I guess, our industries in general. I count myself very fortunate to have had long, long long-lasting relationships with clients, but the more I'm kind of around the profession and chat about it, I realize that that's not necessarily the the rule anymore, Right. right? But in uh, something I see, I don't want to speak for your business uh, on it on its own, but is agencies moving through clients relatively quickly. Like I'm always surprised. So I see that I see this the most in PR because it's often PR agencies that are hiring us. Right. And just how much the big businesses change their PR agencies like constantly, all the time, like like multiple times in a year. And then also the turnaround in PR staff as well. Like people that the representatives that we're dealing with at each agency are constantly moving really quickly. So that's my perspective of it. Yeah. And I know it may not be the same with, with design agencies. And, and of course, even if it's this way for one company, it may not be for, for you. It's all like dependent Mm. on, but you know, from a business side, I always, I always think it's strange to want to keep adapting to a new agent, like agency each time. If I build a relationship with somebody there's so much value in maintaining it just because you don't want to start over again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But there's always a shinier, yeah, like new exactly, thing around yeah. the corner, right? So yeah, the new, the new problems that you don't know about are more attractive than the problems yeah. you are already aware of. I mean, that's why the relationships are key. That's why we focus first on relationships and connection. And, and I think it's so valuable is because I think you prove yourself more when you're going through difficulties. So it's when you make an inadvertent mistake. I think the client seeing you deal with that really effectively endears them to you more than just everything going okay. So do you sometimes just intentionally (laughs) fuck up a job? Just Just an intentional typo on like a massive program or something. You have the whole fix planned out and then you just execute that. It's strategic. That's actually a good idea. (laughs) I really think it's true though, because if you can take ownership over something that you've done poorly, or if you haven't executed the way that you wanted to, or if there's just mm-hmm. something that goes sideways, which we're it all does. humans, yeah. it does. If you can, yeah, if you can own it and go, you know what, let's work on a solution together. Solving that problem as a team is huge, but blaming will get you fired 
in a heartbeat, right? <laughs> right? So, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's just by going through that kind of process and yeah, and just kind of letting letting your clients and your staff, every everyone that you work with, know that we're a team and we have a shared goal of creating great things. Then you don't blame as much because you're like we're all in this together. And yeah. I think that that's so key. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what are, what are some obstacles you're facing lately? Like what, it, what's hard for you this year? Um, not specific people, but just, yeah, yeah. you know, in the big, well, sense. I brought a list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, one by one, here are the clients getting fired on today's podcast. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think this is a bit of an interesting one for me because I'm in a space that I, in a growth phase of my business. So I just brought on a couple new staff and so the challenges are very different than when you're first starting out and you're just trying to eat, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a bit of a different spot that I'm in. And that's why I really love being able to have dialogues with people like you is if you tell anyone outside of like a, a an entrepreneurship position, oh, I have challenges because I'm growing right. or yeah. because I'm getting busier, people just kind of go like, Poor oh, you're... You. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there are true, real challenges yeah. in that, right? So, I mean, this is why people... This is why people hang out with other people in their general level of life. I mean, uh, in many ways, that's money. Yeah. Um, people that are at similar income levels. Because people that I know of that have a lot of money will have a challenge. It's, it can be challenging to speak to people without any money and still relate. Like yeah. you don't want to be judged. If you, yeah, I don't know. You just don't want to be judged. Yeah, you know? yeah totally. So it can, I don't know, that, that can be interesting. It also makes me think about the, the way that it can be incredibly helpful and important to intentionally surround yourself with people that have those same goals and yeah. want to be doing more. I mean, Something that comes up all the time, like we're in Calgary, which is like a medium-sized city. You know, sure. you can do you can do a lot here. There is there is money here, but it's not it's not a city with a reputation. And a lot of the people that do a good job of creative stuff move to bigger cities. And so often the challenge is like the people you wanted to hit, surround yourself with mm-hmm. are, ta- are like taking off, yeah. you know, and doing other things. But building that community is like is so helpful and important. And I think for people that really end up like isolating themselves and trying to do it alone or missing out mm-hmm. in, in a big way or, or people that surround themselves with people that really like drag them down and make yeah. them feel, feel either feel like crappy work is good enough. It can be surprising how damaging that is yeah. to have people just like being super supportive yeah. and, and telling you that you're doing a great job when actually you're not right. That can be damaging. Whereas yeah. if your, your group is also really skilled and yeah. hopefully a little bit better than you at everything, that's what's going to push you to do better. You know, your, your bar of your minimum standards being yeah. raised is insanely helpful, I think. Yeah. I think growth helps with that too. So mm-hmm. you're kind of asking me about challenges and I feel like one of the challenges with growth is, well, in order to grow as a creative agency, we also need a higher level of clientele, right? right. Our clients need to grow with us. And I think what you realize when you start working with larger clients and larger companies, you may have found this as well, is the expectations increase. But I, I've, I'm trying to embrace that, I guess, right now. And that's one of the challenges is to go like, okay, this group really highly values really strong creative work, which is why they're willing to pay good money for it. Mm-hmm. If you work with you know, a group of people that don't value it, they won't pay as much for it and they won't recognize great work when it's executed. Yeah. So it's challenging because you have to be on point when you're working with larger client that really values what you do and knows and has like an understanding of your field. But when you do great work, it's that much more fulfilling, right? So the challenges are finding people that value work that are willing to pay for it and then executing at the level that they're expecting. So once you've found them, though, what are ways of improving that situation? Like things that come to mind is the work that you put out there, you know, in finding them, putting work out there that is like what you want to create is so important. Because if you're putting out your 
work that you're not really proud of, but you did it. So you feel like you got to show people you're probably going to get hired to do more of it yeah. versus just showing off your best work and what you're proud of. And that's probably what people are going to come to you for right. and will define how they ended up working with you. But I don't know what oh, else man. do you do. Well, I mean, you were talking about circles we get referrals from big companies to other big companies, right? right? Because they're all talking with in a different circle than we were used to, right? So our referrals improve when we do great work for them mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. I think what's most imperative is just really figuring out how to be a great communicator. And that's been that's been one of the things that I've been kind of keying on is if we're communicating regularly, then we know we're going to be executing at the level that's expected because we set those expectations. Right, right? Let's, let's have some really practical advice and like what, yeah, what, what sure. is, what is good communication to you? Like, does that mean having an email responded to within five minutes or does it mean like, what are some things a normal person could take into their life that would make them better? Oh man. You know what? The, my main rule is if there's any emotion attached to any kind of issue, it's a phone call. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to send an email. Like if I get an email and I'm like, oh, that seems snarky. There's a lot of exclamation marks in that email. Yeah. <laughs> it's in all caps. Yeah. I never reply with an email because the amount of times that you read someone's tone wrong or you inadvertently give the wrong tone, if there's already some emotional feelings around it, it never helps. Yeah. So my number one rule for myself as well as all of my staff is if you ever feel like there's any kind of emotional element to it, you pick up the phone, they hear your voice, they hear that you're there to support them, and they know that you care mm -hmm. enough to pick up the phone. And it's amazing how quickly something that seems like an issue is no longer an issue. Yeah. So that's like rule number one around really great communication is... I, l I learned that from direct experience where I was the one getting a little too emotional over emails. When I was at life.com, I... Had I'd thought that I was getting responsibility over a certain aspect of the website, and through an email thread I was following, it was kind of gradually getting handed off to somebody else. But I wanted to do this. This was my thing, and we had talked about this in a meeting. And I thought this was clear to everybody. Yeah. And something about the tone of my email, it just—I don't, I don't remember what I did. It was all caps, sure. <laughs> we expressed that, and I had the fortune of having an amazing project manager from, from the timing side was managing the whole project, Jason. And he phoned me up instantly within like five minutes of me sending my email. And he's like, Hey man, what's up? And that really made it click. I'm like, and he's like, yeah, I, I don't think we realized, you know, that this was important to you. And, and all these stories I was telling myself yes. by reading the text just kind of evaporated. I'm like, Oh yeah, we're just, people and that doesn't always come across when it's written yeah and a phone call can go a really long way so if you're a millennial that is afraid to make a call and only want mm -hmm. to send snaps and texts there's good reason not to <laughs> yeah yeah and i just feel like there's there's room for more kindness in general in our world right now and it's easy to hide behind text sometimes right yeah. so put yourself out there tell people that you're a human that's concerned or that has feelings. And it's amazing how kind people are back to yeah. you. Right. So that's a good one. I like yeah. that. Something I heard the other day on a podcast was the idea of, I was on the Kevin Rose show. So the idea of, no, I don't remember what he called it, a double-sided introduction or where, he, so basically the idea is that if you want to introduce two people yeah. like Shay, I think you've got to meet my friend, Doug, uh, he's a great guy. You guys have to know each other. That before that introduction gets made, I don't just it, like, Shay, like, let's go outside right now. I know Doug's home. We're going to drive to his house and we're going to hang out with them. And you guys are going like, to get along great. I know it. Instead, I ask him like, hey, like, I've got this friend. Would you be interested in meeting him? And you're like, what do you say? Yes, you might say yes. You don't have, but you could say no, right? You have an opportunity to be like, eh, nah, that doesn't <laughs> and then I go to Doug and I say like, Hey, I've got this great friend, Shay. And I think you guys would get along great. Would you be into meeting him? And I let him say yes or no. And then I introduce you guys because yeah. there's nothing worse than when people force, like, have you, have you ever been in that situation? Like where, especially in person, somebody's like, Oh, you two just have to meet. Oh, man. Like you guys are both really funny. Why don't you just like be funny together? And they kind of stand there and watch you like try to force through a conversation yeah. with somebody that you know very little about. Or that, you know, just maybe that one of you doesn't really have time for this interaction and they yeah. might 
they might want to be supportive and you guys might get along great, but like, this is a really stressful week for them and they have a lot of deadlines and like, they just can't pick up another phone call or they can't help you out on this project that you could have collaborated on or whatever. Like letting both people accept the interaction first. Oh man, I love that because like my pet peeve is when someone's like, oh, this person reminds me so much of you. So you just start judging them immediately when you meet them. <laughs> yeah, right, totally. You know, you're okay. thrust into oh. this, oh, you'll love them. They're just like, you You guys have so much in common. And then you're like, that's what you think okay, of me. Here's another life tip. <laughs> don't tell people that they remind you of other people. Yeah. Especially if they don't know that person, because nobody cares. Yeah. And it's like, it's it usually comes off as insulting for yeah. so, for no reason. Like, They'll judge them somehow and you'll be like, I don't, I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm not like lovely. that. Yeah, yeah totally. No, I don't dress like that. Yeah, unless it's somebody that's just universally beloved, you know, like somebody right. that obviously is only, it's only a compliment, but otherwise. Yeah. You've got to meet Brad Pitt. You guys, <laughs> identical in every way. Yeah, I mean, that's not so bad. You, <laughs> and I know you get that all the time, so. Oh, I have a question to follow up on that after you on the last episode, I heard people saying they want to hear more about what you would look for in hiring a photographer. And this again, doesn't have to be super personal to like your jobs, but for people trying to build a portfolio, hoping to be hired by a design agency, what are important things to think about when they're presenting their work? Right. So this is like specifically if someone's coming to me and they have a portfolio developed or what would I like to see in the portfolio? What are you thinking? I don't know if they don't. First, if they don't have a portfolio yet and you're just coming out of school. Yeah. You know what? I've I've definitely hired and hire regularly based on the specific project and what it requires. So someone will refer someone to me regularly that and they go like this is a great food photographer. And that's their thing and I go, "Okay, great. I need someone to shoot food." And this actually just happened for a couple of restaurants. And yeah, I sat down, looked at their work, but more than that, they were friendly, they were very forthcoming, and they were able to talk about the different work inside their portfolio. Well, how much of the hiring process would be just by seeing their work before, like without, you know, do you ever hire anybody without meeting them? No, no. So that's, that's, I think the key thing, get in the room. Right. Right. Well, as a photographer. But I've got to say though, as a photographer, most of the stuff we get hired for is over email. Right. We, we, it's, it's weird how often we can end up in another country in a city we've never been in before for a job that like is just off a few emails. <laughs> Interesting. Because people for like national companies aren't in Calgary, right? They're in Toronto yep. so, or New York or LA. So. But you've had the luxury of building a reputation. You have a large body of work that's available online. You know, you've honed your craft and you have a lot of work out there, right? right. Again, yeah. I'm just throwing in that like there's, yeah. There's, there's different steps, ways yeah. these happen. And it's also, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just a graduating to it thing. Like, cause this also happened earlier on in my career okay, too. That, cool. Cause a, a lot of the time people don't have people not in your position. Cause you run a creative agency. So you're regularly hiring people, but people that own the business, own the business. Right. So it's like, I have a clothing shop, yeah. a little boutique and I need some photos taken. I don't know any photographers. So you Google them and then you start emailing them. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. um, but in in terms of like actual presentation, what do you like to see? Do people still need print portfolios? Have, <laughs> I've never made one, but do you still see them? You know, a lot of times I'll sit down, they'll have a laptop and we look through it together or, you know, like they'll, we'll meet and if, as a follow-up, they'll kind of send their online portfolio. So I think having a collection of your work that's displayable is very important. I would be totally fine just going through a book with someone. But I think that that kind of collection of your work and, you know, being able to speak to it and do you think people are often putting together the work to pitch you on that project? Or are you looking at their broader portfolio of like, this is, this is what they show everybody and you're just looking at all of it? Or are they like, here's all my architecture photography judgment? Yeah, I think if they know what the brief is or if they know what they're potentially being hired for, they skew that way for sure. We'll send right? you something yeah. specific. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I just like hearing the rationale behind things, you know, th- because it's hard to derive context from an online portfolio. But if someone's there or emails me or talks me through it, they can go, this was for 
a social campaign that I did. And the whole right. feeling was around what it's like to actually be at the table and have the plate dropped in front of you. So then you go, oh, wow, this was a deliberate style that they use. They were able to follow more or less like a, a structured brief and an idea. And they executed on that idea. And I, I like being able to see that because it shows that they can kind of follow a, a pattern and create a coherent set, which a lot of times campaign work yeah. demands. Well, there's two general categories of how people get hired, that you're either hiring somebody that is just like technically really skilled and is likely to be able to execute whatever you ask for. Mm -hmm. And then you sometimes hire somebody because they already do exactly the thing you want them to do. So I think a lot of career photographers get confused early on by looking at Okay, the first example that came to mind was Terry Richardson. Um, yeah. That's not really what I'm on. Somebody, somebody with like a really distinct style sure. that becomes like a trademark and you know what it is. So when they're getting hired, it's to do, okay, let's get rid of Terry Richardson because he's <laughs> a you know, terrible person. You're going to tell her, maybe. Or who else? Who's, who's La Chappelle? Who's, yeah, Dave La Chappelle. Yeah. Um, people that are like, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. You know what this look is going to be and they're going to do something really interesting. And that is... I think what captures the imagination of a lot of young photographers that they will yeah. become that, but it is or like a Rodney Smith or something too. Like that's yeah, a great totally. example. Yeah. Actually, in a recent episode, uh, I had a guest on Irene Rednick, who is a YouTuber and photographer that's really known for her style. Yeah. And what is more common, like there probably are just more jobs for though, is just being good at your craft. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And being able to execute because there's just more jobs that are that. Mm -hmm. And there is, Whatever your niche is, if if you find a look that becomes your trademark, yeah. there's not going to be infinite companies that all want to be associated with your trademark. Unless yeah. you're at the very top, like you have to be really, really big for that to work or your look becomes trending. But it's like my company, like we get hired out by a myriad of different, you know, we aren't just hired on for one specific type of creative that we develop right, yeah, right. we're we aren't a niche firm yeah. yeah and i think it would have been very hard to do that and stay creative yeah well the thing is it can be a trade-off because if you get the right niche that i think that is how you become huge mm -hmm. at least reputationally like yeah. that's that's usually who becomes famous yeah. is people that have a thing that they're known for yeah. but then most of the industries run on the backs of just like the sort of the the, lay, the day laborers that just like, this is my job and I know how to do it well yeah. and I can do it for anybody that walks in my door. So Yeah, until you become that iconic person, make doing it well your thing. Yeah, you yeah, know? Right, yeah that's a good, <laughs> good thing to have a reputation for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it's kind of a coincidence. Like it's a, honestly, it's a fluke if you end up in that situation otherwise, because most people don't, so. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know what, you'll never regret learning how to, you know, execute a different style of creative or being able to capture a different kind of image, you'll never go like, oh, I wasted all my time doing those portraits. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll go, oh, I, I'm a food photographer now, but I know I learned things by shooting different types of work that, you know, I was able to apply to what I do now, right? Like you can... What about doing work for free? What What are some examples of times that you've done free work and not regretted it. Oh, man. That was a long pause. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When have I not regretted free work doing free work? There's always, you know what? There's always a little part of you that regrets it. I think if it's a personal project, then obviously that's different. But if it's for a client, I think there's a little part of you that goes, this is my job. This is my livelihood. This is what... Well, but also you're looking, don't look at it too much from your current perspective. Right. Because on the road to where <laughs> we are, you know, I think it's really hard sometimes for established creatives to give that beginner advice. Mm. And of course, that's who beginners are going to look to is, is people that are far along in their career. But it can be hard to look back and really remember what that situation is like of, Nobody thinking of you as being this kind of professional. Nobody mm -hmm. thought of me as a photographer sure. in 2015. You but know? I think compensation is still important, even if it's tiny. What about when you're bad at it? Like, what about when you're a really bad photographer? And you just <laughs> want to hear like, <laughs> bad photography. <laughs> no, no, but um, you know, like that, that can be a real challenge. It's like, so I've been, I've been taking photos mm -hmm. and 
I feel like they're getting better. People are looking at my portfolio site that I created and they like it. Yeah. And nobody's paid me yet. And somebody's asking me to do some work that would look good in my portfolio, but they don't have a budget for it. Like, how do you strike that balance? Yeah. You know what? I, I mean, it's totally a personal thing, but... This is after I said we're bad at giving advice. Yeah, us, yeah so. exactly. But I, I, I mean, for me, my my initial kind of reaction to it would be, okay, let's say it's for, you know, a restaurant and you go, you know what, flip me a $50 gift card and else, you know, I want to do this. If, the, if it's usable, you know, it'll be part of my process. It'll help strengthen my book. But I think just, just feeling like there's an exchange there, I think is just a nice, nice way of you feeling like your work's valued. I think they'll value what you give them more as well, because they'll go, even if it was something small, I had to put a little bit towards this. So I should use these assets. It just helps you grow faster if there's some sort of exchange. And there's a value component there that I think can't be ignored either. I mean, we all want to feel valued for the time that we spend, you know, developing this craft that we're passionate about. And yeah, and I think it'll set a great precedence for as you, you know, you'll need to ask for money, more and more money as you get better. Mm -hmm. So start early just by asking <laughs> yeah. for something very easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially a relatively easy thing for most people to do is some kind of exchange of services. Yeah. You know, if they do a thing, like maybe they can do that thing yeah. a little bit for you or you know, yeah, just give you some kind of something helpful because yeah. you are still investing your time. And I also think people do better work when they are seeing something down the road yeah. that they'll get out of it instead of just... And it actually is a- the free word, like I, I actually, some of my clients, especially if it's like a, a fitness thing, like there's always that free trial membership or, you know, first class free. I actually, I believe that you should always just charge, charge something lower, but always charge because once you create the perception of you could get this for nothing, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. And even, even as a company, right. you know, and so my recommendation, no matter who you are and what any profession, if you have a service that you're offering, always create a transaction because that's the foot, first foot in the door to like, you know, building I, I a long lasting like transaction. There can be a difference when either the exchange is purely social or it's monetary and it's clear which one it is. Because sometimes like, I mean, you coming on this podcast is a social exchange. Like you're doing work. I'm not getting paid for this. And you're not getting paid for this. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, Sometimes like you would do a thing for somebody and it's, I think if you're going to do something free, it should just be so completely obvious that like, this is because we are friends and I wasn't even considering paying you for it. Or it's like, this is, this is my job thing and it's a work thing. And so it's got to be a work thing. And just like, it should be one or the other and muddying them is, I think. Yeah. You know what? I've just... It's so timely uh, this conversation because I was just I was just thinking about one of my experiences recently where I've wanted to kind of help a friend out, but I haven't known how to ask for payment, and it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you're right. There are some when it's a good friend, and you know that they're going to benefit, and and well, and you're going to grow together because and of you it. You need to know before you said yes that you're hundred percent okay. Yeah. following through without ever wishing you were getting money out of it. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if you can picture yourself down the road in this project a little bit, feeling resentful because like, oh, I really should have asked for this. Yeah. You probably shouldn't take it on. Yeah. You're you know? totally right. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think, you know what? I mean, just like this experience that we're having right now, I mean, I wouldn't think of charging you for my time. <laughs> right. Because there's value in it for me and, I think I, I just like seeing. Well, I'm also not. I'm not asking yeah, a lot. Like yeah, we, yeah. we haven't had coffee for a while, anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think there is a benefit to seeing friends succeed yeah. and also being a good friend. Well, a really common example of this is the whole pick your brain phenomenon. Yeah. Especially when both of us are are near uh, like consulting type work. Yeah. Sometimes we are giving advice for money. Right. Right. And that's one of those, like, it's, it's hard to, to figure out that line of like, yeah, I mean, we can hang out. Like, I love to hang out with people and chat about the things that I'm interested in. Yeah. But it, yeah, finding that place of like, well, 
how much time can we spend doing this before I feel like yeah. the exchange is moving over to the, to the wrong side of it. That's probably where the communication comes in again, where you go like, this is what I'm willing to do. Yeah. Right. You know, set precedence early because yeah, I was just thinking about it and I'm like, but what if they come back and they're like, Oh, can you just, you know, 15 reiterations later, you realize that you're still doing this free project. That's where resentment comes in. Right. Where they also need to know, what your limit is. Right. Yeah. yeah Sometimes so, they don't feel like they accidentally stumbled onto passing a line. Or, yeah. Yeah. You're right. I really like this FAQ that, uh, so uh, just a podcaster I like is Max Temkin, and he is just like a public figure. He's well known. He's a founder of Cards Against Humanity. And oh, so cool. people like ask him to do stuff all the time. Right. Yeah. And so he made an FAQ that's like, here's just some of the questions. Can we meet for a coffee to connect? What is the secret to doing a successful Kickstarter project? Will you do my podcast? Will you be on a panel to speak at my event? Will you publish my thing? Will you sponsor my charity event? Can I have a job? Um, and just like these sort of favor type things. And I, I just really loved it because his his answers are really honest. And like sometimes would, if people got it in an email or over the phone, might really let them down and make them feel kind of crappy. But reading it ahead of time online, it's it's like, this is kind of what my schedule's like. And I get roughly this many emails a day, so it can be challenging to respond to them in the ways right. that I'd like to, even though I really appreciate all your time. And uh, I don't know. that it, What it made me think about is how super valuable it can be to just set expectations, yeah. to like make people understand what they're getting into before they reach out to you. Yeah, I think that it's so important to be clear for yourself more than anything. And then when you say it out loud, then everybody's aware and you know what you're willing to do. A funny thing with that, that we haven't, we've never taken care of properly, but I know it would be a good idea is having a sort of a a set of expectations for photo projects as well. I think it'd be most effective for wedding photography. That's when, when we were planning to do it is when you're doing a bit more wedding stuff, but we're doing less now. So we think about it less and we, and we have a flow that hasn't made it an issue, but things like, so basically it'd be an FAQ. It's like, how long can I expect for my photos to take to be edited roughly how many photos can i expect to get what do i need to do to prepare on the day of the shoot what happens if there's changes that need to be done what kinds of changes will be included in the price like just here's how working with us goes most of the time and here's the things that we've encountered before as stumbling blocks that the, the whole issue is just lack of communication. And it's because you don't usually start off conversation with the client like, okay, here's all the problems I've ever had <laughs> with other clients. Maybe we could avoid them if you if yeah. you read this. But, if your perfect day goes horribly <laughs> awry. <laughs> I, but I think, I think it could be really effective, like just setting it ahead of time. Like this is what to look out for and this is what to be aware of, especially if you haven't worked with photographers before or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. An idea that we haven't executed, but I'd still like to. Yeah. What Do you have anything like that where you, I mean, you guys, like you said, are working with large brands often that have never met you before. So how do you set expectations? I'm curious for myself as well. Like, how do I kind of set expectations for a large brand requesting my services and make sure that they're satisfied at the end of it and know what they're getting themselves into? Yeah. I, uh, on the communication side, I have to give all that credit to Tanya. Cause I just don't, I don't do a lot of that. Right. And I think I would do it worse, much worse than she does. <laughs> so don't listen to my advice on that side. Cause I, I think of things more in terms of what I'm going to build, like the way I solve those kind of problems is like write a pre-written PDF to send to them. And then that is the thing. So like we have a media kit that yeah. is like part of that and has some amounts of that information. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's being good at communicating with clients. Mm. So, and so much of like what it means to succeed at these small businesses, I think is something you're really good at. Again, this is something I'm not great at. If I was on my own, it would be a huge struggling point is like, when you see emails come in, know that you're going to deal with them within a certain amount of time and uh, make sure that they don't get lost and you don't forget to respond to somebody for a week and that you are hitting the schedule that you promised them that you will. And right. just following through and just being there and being accountable is insanely important. And I think a lot of what will make you get rehired because a lot of, a lot of creative people get into it because they didn't want a real job. Yeah. Like I, I think that's kind of a, a, a hard fact, but a lot of people see, like I was saying earlier about the, these are movie jobs. These are romantic, cool jobs. And so they 
go to art school because they didn't want to take a, they didn't want to be a lawyer. They didn't want to, you know, do math all day. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) if you just run away from it forever, you're going to, it's going to catch up with you. Right. Yeah. I, now that, while I've got you here, there's, I, I was kind of thinking about it as I was driving over. And one of the things that I always wonder when we're hanging out is, you know, where you're going to end up. Right. I, I'm like, I'm hanging out with Tyler. I wonder that too. <laughs> hanging out with Tyler. And you Tyler. came up with the answer? Okay, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> um, and I have no doubt that you're going to achieve amazing things and keep kind of ascending, you know, this trajectory that you're on. And, and for me, it's just excitement because I get to kind of, you know, stand back and watch you kind of, you know, get better and better at what it is that you do, go more and more places with it, work with more and more exciting people. But yeah, I was wondering on my way over, like how you feel about it and what you kind of see that destination as being, or if you see it more as like a a journey or, you know, I'm just curious what the future kind of, of your, your profession looks like well, for you. Like you I know? say, honestly, if I, if I knew that would probably help me get there a lot faster, <laughs> but it's, I think one of the challenges is that the, the, some of the things that have been succeeding the most lately, like uh, YouTube's been picking up and there seems to be some traction there that might be able to go somewhere. And, you know, the reception of this podcast has been good and just sort of online presence stuff, like being an internet personality stuff has been going well. Challenges with that in predicting anything about it or saying where I want to go is that it, it really relies on some cards just being flipped up the right way on a table. Like you don't really know when then something's going to go big. So often when I think I'm putting out the best thing that I've done, it doesn't go anywhere. The most recent video that I did, I was doing because I expected it to be kind of a big one and it just totally disappeared. It just vanished. And I can't get hung up on that. Like I just have to, okay, now next idea, like let's, let's keep moving forward. But there's also just a decent chance that that'll never pick up. You know, like the, the rate that I'm growing now might just stay the way that it is, which wouldn't put me into like a top tier of of online stuff. Right. So I can't count on that being my next big thing. So at the same time as I'm trying to make YouTube videos and podcasting stuff, you know, I'm also always taking on client work and just kind of being a normal working photographer as well and taking on video work. Like we're, we're doing some videos for like local businesses this month that are pretty boring and I'm not going to show them off. Like they're not showcase pieces by any means they're just a way to work and you know i i think it's i just want to get better at the things that i do that's always what yeah. it's about even podcasting right now like i want to get better at talking in front of a microphone and i want to get better at audio quality improving and then i want youtube videos to be more interesting and i want to be able to produce them more regularly and release them with the more systematic process that like lets them get out on time and yeah you know, have a better workflow, like in general, just be better at all the things that I do and also get rid of bad habits that I have. I, you know, I can be super forgetful. I can totally drop the ball on stuff. Like I was saying that like my skill set is not what my partner's skill set is, is totally true. Like I'm really good at forgetting things (laughs) and, and she's not and keeps me accountable. But I, I want to, one challenge of having that relationship of that your partner is really good at the things that you're bad at is it's easy to pass it off then you don't know what your own schedule is because someone else knows what it is i mean that is a really good example of it is scheduling it's like okay well i'm not really setting the schedule anyway so i'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about it so i get worse and worse at scheduling because i'm not doing it i feel like if i can just keep getting better at those specific things i'll find an interesting career path you know i just i just want to be really really good at all the things that i try to do yeah. and that'll go somewhere. Well, I think what, like, I've always been very, I don't know, like just so amazed with your ability to be consistent, right? I remember, you know, when you were first doing photography, the consistency component was what I was most amazed well, with, it, right? What do you mean in consistency of things just, getting yeah, released? Yeah, like or? just releasing and going like, I'm okay publicly going through this, this growth, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that way back in the day, you used to be able to hole up in a cabin and write for five years and then right. release your novel kind yeah. of thing, right? And what I've learned and grown to really appreciate about the way that you work is 
you're okay with some of your flaws being out there, but you know that if you put out enough stuff regularly and keep improving that, I mean, people are going to notice, right? Honestly, I've been appreciating that more and more from, for people that I follow, because there's, there's so many people on the internet, but the ones that I stay with are really honest about their flaws and their problems. Yeah. And so I'll just like name a few because I like them, like Merlin Mann's podcaster, John Syracuse, Max Hemkin that I referenced earlier. I've been listening to Harmontown. Dan Harmon is the creator of like Rick and Morty and community yeah. and stuff. And he's an example of just like extreme honesty. Like it's too, it is way too far, but I get more out of it by listening. And that makes me stick around and makes me trust him more. And I don't know, I want to get closer to that and not be too, not be so guarded that I'm, I'm becoming like fake or, or presenting a me that's not really there. And and that can be really hard because it, it also kind of means that the you that you're presenting, you, you kind of have to make it a good. So if you're being honest and really showing yourself, yeah. then you have to make yourself somebody you want to be, right? Whereas if you're just putting on the face yeah. and you're just presenting a look on the internet or to the public, yeah. then you can kind of be any, you can be an asshole in yeah. private. You can be whoever you want, like when, when nobody's around, but yeah. to present the real you it's helpful to try to make that a good you. And that's hard. That's hard. That's much harder than just having a nice face, you know? Right. And you're not doing like fiction. You're talking about things that you're interested in. You're being, you know, you're having people that you're Or like, you know, I mean, in in part of the hope of conversations like this is to like get to like pretty real questions. Like I really hate self-help or advice content. I don't know. Self-help is a good example that just feels like the whole goal is just to sell you the next thing. And there's really no interest in expressing any deeper ideas about yourself and who you are and where you want to go. And like, I want it, I want the things to put out there to be real and honest about let's actually try to get better together and let's try to understand each other better. And it's the same as why I'm not just doing nothing but like phone reviews because just talking about phones, isn't that interesting to me. It's talking about, how does technology affect our lives? And like, when are we on the phone too often? And what, what apps actually make my life better versus when is it just kind of fun to talk about apps all day? Like drawing those lines between what's useful in your life and when you're just sort of rubbing it because it feels good. That can be, you know, hard to figure out, but super useful. And it probably makes you feel like, you know, well, you're asking questions of yourself too that you wouldn't necessarily normally ask, right? So you're going, well, how do I feel about the struggles of growth and where do I want to end up? It it sounds like a fun exploration because you get to almost uncover more about yourself through the process, right? And that's what's so exciting about creative processes is sometimes you have these insights into yourself that you never even knew you'd have through uncovering how you feel about something new that, that comes across your path. Right. Yeah. yeah well, and, and part of the challenge of, of talking about like, where do you want to go with that? Is there's, that's like, that's very much not a guaranteed path to success. Like if I wanted to just worry about growth, I would look at what's big on YouTube right now and do more of that. Right. Cause people that blow up on YouTube, you see their content and you're like, Oh yeah, that's kind of like the other stuff that's gotten big lately. Right. So trying to avoid that, inherent narcissism about social media influence. Like if your if your job becomes dependent on how many people are interacting with your content, then how do you not get overly self-obsessed? And I was just going to ask that. I was think like, that it's all about you. Yeah. How do you, I don't know. I mean, yeah, how I, do you I, just not think of me, me, me all yeah, the time? I mean, right? I feel like you try to talk about it and you try yeah. to think about it and you just be aware of it is, is, is step number one, I think. Yeah. You know, I also think that it helps that I'm older than a lot of people trying to do this or people succeeding at this. I mean, yeah. if you look at Logan Paul, like, I don't, have you followed kind of the news stories? It's not that new anymore. Uh, Logan Paul is like the, one of the, the biggest, biggest YouTubers and he's kind of a dick and just does a lot of stunts and I'm sure Logan Paul fans are listening now and hating me, but like, he's, he's a total dick, but he's also 22. And I think about if I had gotten over 10 million subscribers when I was 22, 
how would I have steered any sensible course to, to growing up? And yeah, same goes for child actors. Like, how did Justin Bieber, how would he have become anything but kind of a douche? <laughs> It'd be really challenging. Yeah. Like, I, I, there's an, the interview with Daniel Radcliffe on Nerdist, because they just do really long format interviews. And Daniel Radcliffe comes off as an awesome guy, like super balanced. And basically just his parents were aware of the pitfalls of being a child actor. Like they kind of knew what could happen because they were in the industry and they just steered him on a path that let him become a balanced human, like a normal yeah. human being. Yeah. And I I think that can be really challenging yeah. to, to, to steer that path. And more and more when the narcissism is an honest path to success. Yeah. Just being self-obsessed. Like that can make you rich and famous. But it sounds like one of the key components of staying kind of, I guess, grounded, grounded is having a great support system. Like yeah. you were talking about. And you're just having people to call you on shit. Like, yeah. oh, you're kind of being, you're kind of being an asshole. Today, right? right. Or, you know, don't be, yeah, don't be too full of yourself. It's, it's just, it is good to have, people around you that don't just say yes, yes, yes all the time. Right. Constructor, like a critique is one of the best things you can have as a creative, right? Yeah, yeah. And one that's honest. And then like the more, the more educated and the stronger the rationale behind a constructive critique, the better you get. But it's kind of like we were talking about early on in this podcast. It's like, you need people surrounding you that are kind of where you're at and where you're prepared to be as well, I right, think, yeah. right? And have that attitude about being honest and being willing to say if you, you've done something wrong. You know? Yeah. If you, because if you guys have different attitudes about that and you think that it's rude for people to tell you that you are doing something bad, that's going to be challenging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you may not keep getting along. Yeah. So. I think that you're going to be somewhere better if you're willing yeah. to, to to hear that. So this is very narcissistic. I've just been talking about myself for 15 minutes, but like to finish the idea of like, where do I want my career path to go? If YouTube and social media stuff implodes tomorrow or it doesn't really go anywhere, then I just want to be much better at the things I do. And especially at like cinematography and, and filmmaking. And I would just love to be able to do work as good as the best people that I see out there. So, you know, the people that I follow that really impress me, that are very consistent about having an amazing look. Mm -hmm. I just want to get to that point always. Cause right now I struggle with feeling like my look is anywhere near as good as I want. Like, I don't feel like I execute at the level that I, I mean, this, this is a common creative thing. I think uh, maybe you could call it like the Ira Glass problem of being aware of the benchmark that you're aiming for and you know that you're not hitting it. Yeah. You, know? you you realize the difference between your work and the work that you could be producing and not being able to close that gap can be really frustrating, but yeah. that keeps me moving forward a lot too. Yeah. I mean, it has to, you'll never feel like you're like, Oh, I'm the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I did it. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I think you hear that a lot from, you know, Oscar winners and like, uh, Kurosawa who said something like that when he won his lifetime achievement award of like, I'm just starting to get the hang of this filmmaking thing. Right. You know, I think that's the right attitude to, yeah. that's not only the right attitude to have about it, but it is just the, like the truth yeah. because when you're, it takes a long time to be good at any of this stuff and especially to be an expert at it. And even once you're really good at it, it's also easy to let it slip and become worse because um, you know, I've got, I've definitely gotten worse at things by having too many hobbies, right? Or, or becoming overconfident. Like I've done worse jobs because I was overconfident in it, and I like stepped into a, mm -hmm. a shoot thinking like I already know how this is going to go down. I got this under control, and I'm not in the right headspace. And then I just let something go by. I let like I, I don't strive for everything that it could be. Yeah, I think one of the things. I mean, beyond what we already chatted about, I always think that you bring professionalism to every job you do. And that's something that I've tried to emulate in a big way as well, where I'm like any job, no matter how small, how big, or if it's free for a friend, I'm going to do it at the highest possible level because this is another opportunity to, I guess, get closer to that bar you were yeah, talking about. Yeah. I think that's super important. Just taking it seriously, no matter what it is. Yeah. Cool. What's new for you? What's next for you? What are you taking on? Oh man. Well, we, uh, we keep branding and working on restaurants. 
when are you going to start your uh, vlog? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what? I'm just gonna, I'm just going to do the guest speaker tour. <laughs> well, okay. My 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 closing questions are like, so I see you as somebody that is you're young enough to understand social media and like you use it, but you also personally you like pull away from it a bit. I mean, yeah. especially compared to me. Is there a reason that you don't feel like you want to post more or like just become more of like an online resident? Yeah, definitely. Um, I will, first of all, my thoughts around social media and the way that I engage with it are, I want to feel like I'm living as much in the moment as I can. And I feel like it doesn't come naturally enough for me to stop and capture moments you start thinking the, about the I, yeah, act of capturing. I start thinking about it. And then because I feel like maybe I'm, I really want to capture it well, then I focus more on how I'm, you know, setting up the shot or whatever it is. Yeah, right. And, and I just realized it wasn't the way that I wanted to be spending my moments. And then the other part of that uh, answer is I just, the idea of being famous actually stresses me out. Like I, I don't actually want to be a public figure in any kind right. of way. I, I really like just kind of. Which I, I, I prefer describing it as a public figure than being famous. Like yeah, just having, totally. having an awareness and like presenting yeah. yourself to the public sphere for yeah. response. You know what it is? Part of it is I'm just very sensitive and <laughs> I, I don't like opening myself up to a whole lot of just blind comments and critiques and things. That's and, a great thing um, about podcasts. There's like no comments. So <laughs> you're never going to hear back about anybody, about any of this. So if you're on YouTube, it would be a different, different yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, those two elements it, just on their own just means I'm not taking any pictures and I'm not really yeah, putting myself out there all that much. But I like this format a lot because it allows me to have a dialogue with someone that I really enjoy hanging out with and it's organic and it doesn't take away from an experience. It is an experience, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. There's something, every podcast, I just talk about how great podcasts are. Yeah. Because I just think they're the, like they're a special medium. Like they, they have something unique to offer that are hard to find. Yeah, I, I love this. I really do. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and hopefully we'll have you back again. Sounds good. 